Corey, if you'd bring up that slide. We're going to start our first. Oh, thank you. I didn't see it over there. You're a good man. You know that? Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Um, thanks, Travis. Anyway, we're going to start a new series this week. It's probably going to be a three or four week series. I'm not sure how long this one will last. It depends on what God lays on my heart. The series is going to be titled Just Do It. It's pretty easy. Just do it. Because the whole thing is tonight that we're going to be looking at is John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Week one is going to be do whatever he tells you to do, and he being Jesus. So it's pretty simple what we're going to be doing tonight, and the next four weeks is going to be a lot about just who Jesus is and why we should listen to him. So what I want to do tonight before we get into the rest of the message is I want to tell you guys something real quick. This idea, this miracle of turning water into wine that Jesus did is the very first miracle that he actually performed, and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, okay? So this is his first display of his glory in Scripture. So as we go through this, um, it's not really going to be about the wine. We'll talk a little bit about that. But we're going to be looking at a couple other things along the way that I believe Jesus points out to us as a good pattern on how to live our lives as well. Okay? So we're going to be looking at that. So the very first thing I want to do before we get into it, though, is I want you guys to turn back to your small groups and answer this question. Because Jesus and his mother have an encounter tonight that I want us to look at. So answer the first question at your table. When was the first time one of your parents embarrassed you? So <laughs> groans in the room. So think about that. Turn to your tables. Discuss that question for just a second. And adults, help them out when you guys did it. Or maybe you embarrassed your kids. When's the first time your parents embarrassed you? Talk about that for a minute and we'll turn our attention back to the front of the room. Okay, I'm going to have to have your attention back to the front of the room. You guys can finish your discussions when we're done here. I won't be very long tonight because it's going to be hopefully pretty short and sweet and to the point. <clears throat> so the very first thing we see in this story, in my opinion, is in verse 1 and 2. And the first point on your page is, Corey, Jesus was invited. Jesus was invited to this party. It's not clear why. He was maybe related. Nobody really knows, but it was in Canaan. It wasn't that far away. So Jesus shows up to this party, and it's, as I studied this, I was thinking about this. I thought, okay, so Jesus is at a wedding festival where they're drinking wine and partying. How do, you, how do I tell a bunch of high school kids that Jesus is out on a Friday night party? He's not. He's at a wedding celebration. Wedding celebrations would last like a week long in this culture, you guys. This wasn't something that was just like, a, hey, let's get together and have a, a drunk fest. That wasn't what was going on at all. And I'll talk a little bit about the wine later on. But don't miss the point of what's going on here. Jesus was invited to the party. He was not a recluse. He was not a hermit. The disciples didn't behave that way. Matter of fact, there were a lot of people that would get upset with Jesus because he mingled with sinners. He told the Pharisees, I did not come for people that are healthy. I came for the sick. But we got to remember, we're not Jesus. But the wine in those days was not the same as we're drinking today. But parties would last, a wedding festival would last like a week long. But here's what I want you guys to get about this, I guess, tonight. Just real briefly is, Jesus entered into life's experience with his disciples and other people. So if you think you can come in here on a Wednesday night and go act a fool out there because Jesus isn't involved in your life out there, this should prove to you that he is. 
when you're walking the halls of high school, when you're at parties on Friday and Saturday nights, how are you acting on the buses on the way to the games? What are you doing in the locker room? How are you talking about other girls in the hallway? You see, all those experiences that we have in life, we see here, that if we'd, if we'd invited Jesus to be a part of our life and to be our Lord and Savior, he's in every experience you have. <clears throat> Can we just be bold? It's okay if I talk to you guys like adults. Is that all right? Ninth graders, is that okay with you guys? Fellas, even when you're watching stuff on your phones or the computers, and it has to do with pornography and things that you get wrapped up in, he's there. He's here. Inside of us is where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. And I really want that to impact us a little bit, that he is in every experience we have when we're believers, good and bad. Sin, not sin. He's a God who's always involved in us. And if you've ever noticed this, I want you guys to catch this. There's a word I want you to hang on to tonight called conviction. And when you're getting ready to walk into something and you're misbehaving and you've gotten caught up in sin or given into a temptation, the Holy Spirit of God will convict you. And that's that quiet voice in your heart going, really? Really, this is where we're at. And this is how we're going to behave. Then you've got a choice to make, folks. You're either going to go shut the computer off, turn your phone off, walk away from it, walk away from the crowd of girls at school that are slamming other girls and making fun of them. Whatever that is, you and Jesus, exit and find a quiet way to get out of it. Because the scripture tells us that God will never tempt you beyond what you can handle and he'll always show you a way out. Watch. If you've been in this room more than five minutes with me, you've heard me teach this. We will be in the middle of temptation because Jesus is in every experience of our life. We'll be tempted. The Holy Spirit of God will convict me, and I'll be trying to figure out a way how to get out of this. And he says he will always provide you a way out. Watch. He is the way out. We look around for a way out all the time. We're looking for something we can do. How do I get out of this? We're looking for the wrong thing. Look for God. And he'll show you the way out of what you're going through. I promise. He promises he will. So the one thing I want you guys to know is Jesus is in every experience. But the question is, have you invited him into your life? I don't know a lot of you in the room tonight. Hopefully I'll get to know you if you keep coming back and you're willing to put up with me. But have you invited him into your life? With every experience you have, he's Lord and Savior. Because if he is, he's in every experience you have, every thought and every experience. And it's pretty humbling when you think about it. But the last point in this, because Jesus was invited into the party and included in what was going on in life, he was able to be present and available to help. Second point is, he was present and available. Notice Mary when she asked in verses 3 through 9 we're looking at. Notice when Mary asked him, she didn't tell him what to do. She went and informed Jesus that there's a problem. See, running out of wine in that culture would have been a horribly embarrassing thing. I mean, you think of the worst thing that could happen to you in school, and it was probably worse than that. Because not only did they run out of wine, they ran out of its... Uh, in that culture, in the Jewish culture, hospitality was a very big thing. Their reputation was everything at a wedding because the towns were smaller and weddings were like it. And this, this family ran out of wine 
This is a very big deal because have you, who's seen the movie Lone Survivor in here? Anybody? At the end of that movie, did you notice, and some of you, this won't make sense to some of you, but at the end of that movie, a soldier, a Marine, is protected by a village full of Afghanis, Afghanistan people. And this guy who protects this Marine actually put his life on the line for the Marine, and going against his own people. Because hospitality, when you brought someone into your home in those days, you protected them with your life. And it always struck me at the end of that movie, Lone Survivor, to watch this, this Marine get protected. And this guy put his life and his family's life on the line. So for these guys to run out of wine was a very big deal, I guess is what I'm trying to tell you. It was not a very small thing. But the thing that struck me in this was Mary did not tell Jesus what to do. But Mary knew who Jesus was, so Mary trusted him. Mary trusted him to go to Jesus and say, here's my challenge, Lord. Here's my challenge, Jesus. And then she turned around and she left, trusting that Jesus would do the right thing and take care of whatever that issue was. See, we do this in prayer. As believers today, we go to the Lord. I, I knew, side note, I knew this lady named April a long time ago, and she's a Christian. Not the type of Christian I would want to be. April would tell God what to do. Yeah. And I mean, it was boldly telling God what to do. It would be like, Lord. And I'd scoot away from her. I'm like, you're going to get struck by lightning. She'd say, you're going to do this, and you're going to do it now because you're God, and I want you to. I would not recommend to pray that way, okay? Pray humbly. Take the pattern that Mary shows us in this and go with it. Because what Mary is doing is she's going to the Lord, and then she's walking away from that time with the Lord, that communion, and she's trusting God. There's a scripture I want to read out of Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13. Because I want you guys to capture this. Then you will call, this is God talk, this is Jeremiah talking to the, Israel people, the Israelites on God's behalf as a prophet. Then you will call on me and you will come to me and you will pray. And, when, and, and, and get this, you will come to me and I will listen. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God, listen, God's a responsive God. Scripture says you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. When prayer, when we go to him and we draw near to him, we're doing what Mary says. Lord, I've got this problem, I've got this issue, and I don't know what to do about it. But that's prayer. And then you walk away from that experience knowing that Jesus will help you how he sees fit. We have our requests, we have our petitions, but ultimately we want God's will in our life. And that's why we pray. And prayer always changes me. When I go to God and I pray, he helps me with the heart. He helps my heart with the situation that I'm dealing with so I can deal with it more to his glory that way. I always looked at it this way. Prayer changes me. It might not change the circumstance in which I'm going through because that's up to God. But God will help me deal with the circumstance that I've got before me in a way that will glorify him, not benefit me all the time, but glorify him. Does that make sense to you guys? That's what Mary was doing here. But I want you guys to notice something else too. Did you notice in that part of the scripture how the servants did exactly what Jesus told them to? Mary told him, do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you, do it. Did you hear that? Whatever he tells you, do it. It's not that hard, and I want you guys to remember this. By God's grace, we live this life, not in our own power. 
So if you've been trying to do what he's telling you to do and you're failing at it, quit trying harder and start surrendering more because it's his grace we surrender to that enables us to go live the life he calls us to. But they did exactly what Jesus said. And there's a line in there that says, fill the jars to the brim. And the servants went and filled them halfway. They didn't do that, did they? It says, fill the jars to the brim, Jesus said, and they did exactly what he said. And to me, in John 10, 10, says, Jesus, came to, Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. That's what he's talking about. If we'll do what he says, you will live a life that will blow your mind. And other people will look at you like, how are you doing this? And you'll know it's by the grace of God that you do these things. They were very obedient. And the other part of that is when you get to the latter part of that, when they make the wine and they take it to the bridegroom, and the bridegroom takes it to the, the, the head guy of the, of the party, and he drinks the wine, and he's like, dude, this is the best wine we've had all night. See, normally in that situation, they would serve the best stuff first, get it out of the way, and once everybody gets a little um, happy, <laughs> then they would give them the other stuff. But this time it's turned around, and I wrote this down in my notes. I found this in some commentary, and I want to quote this to you. The world offers the best at first, and then, once you're hooked, things start to get worse. But it, it will always be, excuse me, I got lost. But Jesus continues to offer that which is best until we one day enjoy the finest blessings in the eternal kingdom. You guys have got to understand, hear me, okay? You're young, listen to me. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to stumble along the way. But the world is going to try to tell you that the world's way of doing things is better. And it's not. On the front end, you'll experience a lot of fun with sin. But on the back end, you'll break God's heart and deal with the consequences. It's always best. So the best thing for us, Jesus will give us the best things if we just trust him with all of our hearts. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I want you guys to go read that tonight when you get home. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I didn't say easy. The Bible doesn't say easy, but that path will be straight to him every single time. And that's the best thing for us. In a crooked and messed up world, you stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ, and that path to him will be straight every single time if you live this way. And we do this by learning to trust God in all of our circumstance. Try your best to learn to be a Christian who is not a Christian based on the circumstance. Try your best to be a Christian who is based on Christ, and you'll find it will be a lot less of a roller coaster ride in your faith. The last thing is this. Jesus' revealed, Jesus's glory was revealed. Many people get hung up on the wine here, you guys, in this story. Well, does that mean I get to drink? I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to talk about this for just a second, and then we'll close here in just a minute. I can't tell you that if you have a drink, you're going to hell. I can tell you if you have a drink, you're going to jail because you're too young to drink. So you don't need to worry about it until you're 21 years old. Is that the drinking age even? I don't even know. Is that? Yeah. So when you turn 21 and you want to talk about alcohol, come back and find me. And we'll sit down and talk. Okay? But here's what I can tell you. I got a couple little Danisms for you when it comes to drinking. Remember this. Nothing good comes out of the bottom 
of a bottle with a big fat period right there at the end. Nothing good comes out of the bottom of a bottle, I promise you, especially at your age because you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you get caught drinking. You'll never be an alcoholic if you never drink. You don't need it, you guys. You just don't need it. The other thing is I used to have this idea in my head. Some of you heard me talk about this. Back in the day, I didn't get saved until I was 38 years old. <clears throat> Back in the day, Coors Light was my beer. Funny thing is I didn't even like the taste of beer. I just drank because everybody else drank. I had this thought one day sitting in my recliner at home. I'd been a Christian for several years, been working with junior high students in the ministry, <clears throat> and I had this thought. <clears throat> I thought, you know, if I sat right here in my house, I'm by myself, I could crack, crack a cold Coors Light and nobody would ever know it. You guys would never know it. But I thought, what happens if I had a heart attack and die right there on the spot? Do you really have a desire to meet the Lord with beer on your breath? That, that, that convicted me more than any ever thought God's ever given me on drinking. I never wanted to. I didn't have a desire that day. But I kept it, that thought just hit me because I'm a, I love to teach God's word and help people. And I just had that thought, okay? But I want to give you guys a couple scriptures to hang on to. And if you want to write these down, you can go back and read them. 1 Corinthians 6, um, verse 12. I'll just read it to you. Paul says this. He's talking to the Corinthians. He's, to the Corinthians, he said this. To a bunch of students in high school or adults, he, Paul would be saying this to you. <clears throat> I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, I have the right to do whatever I want, but I'm free in Christ and I'm not slaves to sin, so I don't have to. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Same thing. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. In other words, yes, you can. Justin, you can go out and you can have a beer tonight if you want to and hide it from your folks and you can get away with it, but it will kill you. It will destroy you, you guys, because you're being disobedient to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. I am not, I got to be careful because I know a lot of parents have cold beers and wine. Hear my heart right, hear me right. I'm not being critical of them. That's between them and God. But I want you guys to think. I don't want to tell you what to think. I want to teach you how to think. I want you to teach you how to think critically with Scripture. And if it says, so whatever I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God. So if I'm at a party on a Friday night and I get caught drinking even a little bit, you got to ask yourself, is it for the glory of God? That's your barometer that's how you tell in your life if what I'm doing is good or bad. Does what I'm doing bring any glory to God? And if it doesn't, stop it. It's easy when you think about it, isn't it? I want to teach you to think. And the last thing is this. Here's what you see in this is Jesus reveals his glory for his disciples. That's what he's trying to accomplish here. A signs and wonder. Signs means this. A sign is something that happens, but it's beyond itself. What Jesus is doing when he's changing water into wine here has very little to do with the water and the wine. It has to do with the power, the anointing that the Son of God has to perform this miracle so everybody, the servants and the disciples, can see his glory. 
That's why he's doing what he's doing. And it, and it so impacted the disciples, and I'll close with this. It so impacted the disciples when they saw this, they started to believe that he was the Son of God. When you see something in your life that impacts you for Christ, how does it affect you? Does it change you? Because, see, if you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that should change our behavior as Christians, shouldn't it? It should strengthen us. It should embolden us. It should power us. It should give us a desire to do whatever he says to do. Make sense? So as you guys break into your groups, answer those few questions that are on there, and then we'll wrap up here in just a couple of minutes, okay? So here's the theme that I want to stay with this year in our youth group. If I can give ourselves a theme this year, the theme is this. Do whatever he tells you. If you guys want to get along at school with your coaches, with other people, with your parents, with your brothers and sisters, be obedient. Obedience is such a big deal. We were talking about it over here at this table. It came up in a big discussion. Do whatever he tells you to do. If you'll do that, you guys, that's the best way to live your life. You'll always be in, in, in right standing with God. You never get yourself in trouble with sin. Just do what he tells you to do. And here's what I know. The Holy Spirit of God is faithful to prompt you and steer you and guide you so that you will. And I want you to catch this again. If you say, Dan, I've been trying to, but I'm failing, stop trying. I know that sounds so wrong, doesn't it? But stop trying and start surrendering because we live a Christian life by God's enabling grace. And we don't do stuff. We, we, now, listen, we're not going to do whatever he tells me to do to earn my way to heaven. We do that by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do because he's God. And I love him. And I want to bring glory to his name. That's it. But here's what I'm going to give you guys a little takeaway as you go out the door. Here's how you measure. Are you doing whatever he tells you to do? Because the servants came up over here big in this discussion. And the servants did exactly what Jesus told them to do. And they didn't do partial obedience. They did everything. They filled the jars to the brim, and it was a lot of work. But Jesus wants us involved in his work on earth. This is a relationship that we're talking about with Jesus. It's a relationship that we do things, he promises things, we do things, he promises things. But here's how you can tell if you're being trained up right. Because I really believe this. Ask yourself this quietly in your heart. How are you getting along with your parents? When they tell you to do something, how is the response to them for what they tell you to do? Is it the third or fourth time you get around to it? Yeah, I just really don't want to, so you get in a fight, and you argue about it, and you get in trouble. Because here's what I do know. How obedient you are to your parents will reflect how obedient you are to God. Because if you're being disrespectful to your parents, God will not leave you alone about that. You're going to have to ignore God to continue to be disrespectful and disobedient to your parents. Remember the habits we talked about at the beginning of the night? A habitual life of being obedient to God. So if you're wondering how obedient you are to God, there's your gauge. Ask yourself, how obedient and what's my temperament and the aroma of my life when it comes to my parents and how obedient I am to them. Make sense? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you're good, and I'm so grateful, Lord, for your word and for the truth of it. And I just pray tonight, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts. Student or adult in this room, it doesn't make any difference, Lord. We need you. And the truth of your scripture is something we need to live by. 
So I want to hang on to that theme in my own life and for the life of the leaders and the life of our youth group this year. Whatever he tells you, do it. We do that by your grace, by your mercy, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, and it's to your glory that we do it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.